Reading about the powerful movement for Jesus and his grace in the country of India is like reading the book of Acts and the Apostle Peter's ministry along the coastal plain of Israel. Open to Acts chapter 9, and our study leader Dave Watson will show you what he means as we let Dr. Luke continue to tell us how the truth about Jesus exploded in new areas. When you think of India, what do you think of? You think of those two Indians, you know, that are advertising one of the telephone companies and incredible comedians. How many of you think of English that's hard to understand? How many of you think of outsourcing and this great big global south giant that is, is just exploding with growth? You think of all kinds of things. Some of them are not so good. I want you to know that two of my close associates that teach at Dallas Seminary are from India. They're incredible brothers, incredible gifted. So I want you to think of incredibly gifted brothers in Christ and sisters in Christ. But I also want you to think, you think of Hinduism and gurus. But because I've spoken to you this morning, I want you to also think of an incredible movement for Jesus in the global south. Mary's brother Frank just got back from India. And you think of Hinduism and the birthplace of Buddhism, but I want you to know that there's an incredible revival taking place in India. Mary's brother and Mary's father served with the Berean church that's throughout the whole Midwest and all the way out to California and to Tennessee. They've had over 300 brand new churches started just the last couple years. They've had young Indian men that have taken the Jesus film from village to village, and the people heard the gospel through the Jesus film, and then the young men came to Campus Crusade, and they said, there's communities of believers. They want to go on from here. And so they joined with the Bereans, and that's how the churches started. And Mary's brother Frank has actually been able to go. In fact, he just got back. And I want to read just a little blurb, just to give you a little feel of what Frank and Lou experienced as they went to check on some of these new ministries. And, and it uses just the initials, because the Indian names are a little bit hard to understand sometimes. But just let me give you a feel about what it was like to be in India over the last couple of weeks with Mary's brother Frank. It says, Pastor K and Pastor M had visited a certain village with the rest of the pastors in their district. But the village repudiated them and told them to be gone. Later, a couple in the village had a baby. The baby was born with some sort of physical deformity or a malady that caused the little one not to be able to swallow milk. The milk would come back out the baby's nose. The poor parents, they'd gone from pillar to post, seeking help from all the local multi-god religious holy men. But none could help. The baby's cradle ceremony a ritual in which infants receive their names was approaching. The desperate parents called the two above-mentioned pastors to come. Those two good men prayed. They prayed over the afflicted little one. Within five days, they received a call from the parents. The baby had been healed. The village is now open to listen to the gospel. Then Frank shares about another pastor he called VJK. I don't know what that last name is, but it must be something. Had planted four churches and has recruited two lay pastors. The churches are self-supporting. In addition, he and his wife have taken in 30 orphans, caring for them and readying them for public school. His goal is to train 30 pastors from among those boys to plant more churches in three districts in the state. Now, what does that sound like? 
Doesn't that sound like the book of Acts? We'll turn to Acts chapter 9, because what I wanted to do is give you a feel it's easy to read about Dr. Luke's history of the first century church, and to think that it all happened back then. I just wanted to give you a feel for what God is doing at the point of the sword in the global south, and we want that same power to be at work in our midst today. And the way that we do that is we listen to our Heavenly Daddy speak to us from His Word in Acts chapter 9. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 32, we're going to read about the Apostle Peter's ministry. And incredibly, this, he's going to, in the focus of this text, he's going to talk about a, a paralytic that stands up. And he's going to talk about a deaconess, a beloved deaconess, that dies and she sits up. Let's look at it. We'll read it together and get the passage before us, and then we'll talk about it. Acts chapter 9, verse 32. It says, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. This is on the Mediterranean coast, in a little bit north of what's now Gaza, right near the city of Tel Aviv. So you'll have an idea of where it is. It's about 25, 30 miles northwest of the city of Jerusalem. And I hope you know where we are. There Peter found a man named Aeneas. He was a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years, so he's hopeless. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. Take care of your mat. Immediately, Aeneas got up, and all those who lived in Lydda and the Sharon Plain, that's this coastal plain for about 100 miles, they all saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So we see the purpose of the miracle. Now we have another apostolic miracle from Peter. And now Dr. Luke tells us how we just had a cripple that stands and walks. Listen to what happened in the next paragraph. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which when translated means Dorcas. And for you hunters, that means gazelle. It says, who was always there doing good, helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and she died. And you can feel the congregation in Joppa just going through grief. Her body was washed, which is what they did in the first century, and they placed it in the upper room. In Jerusalem, they had to bury the baby immediately. On the coast, they would not be quite as ritual-oriented. They would spend about three days. That might let a body lie in state where people could mourn. It says that they washed her and placed her in an upper room, and Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him. And they said, please come at once. Sounds just like them uh, sending word to Jesus when Lazarus, his friend, had died. Come quickly. You can help him. So Peter went up with them. And when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. And as the widow stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Do you feel the ministry and the servanthood that Dorcas had, using her hands to meet all these needs and how much people loved her? Peter sent them all out of the room, just like Jesus did when he healed Jairus' daughter. Remember that? He sent all the mourners out in the book of Mark because he doesn't just do miracles for show. He doesn't just do miracles for theater. This is the real thing. So Peter sends everybody out. He turns around to the dead woman. Notice what he does. He gets down on his knees, and he prayed, and he turns towards the dead woman, and he said, Tabitha, get up. Exactly. Jesus, when he healed Jairus' daughter, he said, Talitha, which means little girl, get up. It's so similar. Tabitha, kum. Same words that Jesus used. So Dr. Luke is paralleling. We're gonna, I mean, this is one thing I want you to think about as you're putting together this story of the Bible. Dr. Luke is telling you this story that we've got a man that's just like Elijah in the book of 1 Kings, 
who rose somebody from the dead exactly the same way. And then Elisha does the same thing with a young boy that has heat stroke and dies. So Dr. Luke is setting you up to see this story in light of the whole story of redemption. Notice what happens. It says she sits up. He took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. The Greek text actually says she sits up. Very personal touch. Peter then takes her by the hand and he leads her to the believers. This became known all over Joppa. And notice the purpose of the miracle. And many people believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tenor named Simon, which is going to lead us into the next section of the book of Acts. As we look at this idea of a hopeless paralytic standing up, the first thing I want you to ask yourself is I want you to notice, who does Dr. Luke call saints? Notice when I read to you, it says, after Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. Now, who are the saints in Lydda? Most audiences that I speak to, they automatically, when they hear the word saints, they think of venerated, godly people that you can pray to because you're not quite living up the way that you should. And these venerated saints, like Mother Teresa and like, and like down, you know, Thomas of Aquinas, and you can go Francis of Assisi, all these great saints, they have a store of goodness for you. And so you can pray to them, and they're the saints. And that some of you have been raised in traditions that are like that. I want you to know that that's not at all what Dr. Luke means in this passage. I am looking at the saints. If this passage was written today, Dr. Luke would write, if we were the church in Lydda, he would say that Peter came to visit the saints. You know who he would mean? Tell me. Say it real loud. You. Us. Everybody say us. You're the saints. Good. You're the saints. I want you to understand that. In fact, a friend of mine just went to have a meal in, in Europe, and he met several priests that were there. And they were just comparing notes and stuff. And in fact, it was Dale Knott. He was over in Rome. And that's a good place to visit some priests. And there was a young priest that was there, and they were talking. Everybody was talking about this priest just newly ordained and how he was a priest. And so they asked Dale, what did you do? And Dale said, well, I'm a priest. And they said, what are you talking about? I thought you were a pilot for U.S. Airways. He said, I am. That's my sphere of ministry. I'm a priest. And then Dale said it because the book of Hebrews in the New Testament told me that I'm a priest. And the young priest said, he's exactly right. And that's really true. Isn't that awesome? So the very first thing I want you to know from this passage is that you're the priest in the elementary school as we go back to school. You're the priest in the high school as, as you go back to school. You're the priest in the university. You're the priest in your, in your career. You're the priest in your industry. You're the priest. And what a priest does is they're really intimate with the Lord. And if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, if you've received his forgiveness, then you're a priest. And so you become part of this incredible ministry throughout the world. And the Lord Jesus never intended for the priest of the believer to be locked up just among a special class. He does give us special gifted people like teachers and pastors and evangelists that can help us and equip us, but he wants all of us to be empowered for ministry because of the priest of the believers. That's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to, to get an answer to this question, what was the power that healed the cripple? Notice when I was reading, it says, what did Peter say? He doesn't say, like, I want you to give money to my great evangelistic crusade. If you give enough money, then I'm going to heal the cripple. Is that what Peter says? 
Or do they have a great big massive propaganda campaign, you know, big advertising campaign, and have big meetings? He doesn't do that. A lot of my unbelieving friends are turned off over the healing power of Jesus. I've even been with college students that use TV evangelism kind of as a joke that they watch to get comedian entertainment. I'm not saying that, that the Lord never works through that, but it troubles me that when I'm trying to talk to an unbeliever that they say, man, this is just another con game. What I want you to see in the real revealed word of God, and as the Holy Spirit, like in India, I try to give you a feel that the healing power of Jesus is still at work in the world. He's still at work in healing here. But he doesn't do it through powerful, high-profile people. He does it through humble servants like you and through humble prayers that you give. I want you to see where Peter puts this emphasis. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you, not the apostle Peter heals you. Jesus Christ heals you. And one of the things I want us to always be alert for, it will protect you whenever you're hearing someone claiming miraculous power. It can be me or anyone else. Whenever you're under the, the influence of somebody teaching you spiritually, you want to be asking yourself, is the glory going completely to Jesus? Is the power for healing, the power of a miracle, is it in Jesus? Or is it in the techniques that we use? Or is it in the ritual words that we use? Jesus is a living person here today. And the difference between magic and a personal relationship with Jesus, in magic you always have special formulas. With Jesus you have a personal relationship. And I want to empower you today because you are the priests of believers. You can talk to the Son of God. You can go into hospitals. You can go to people that are suffering from illnesses. And you can ask Jesus to work. And there's tremendous power that's available. Then you say, well, Dave, what's the power for? Notice what it says. Dr. Luke closes the passage by saying, in the healing of Aeneas, he says, and all those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw Aeneas. They saw the reality of the miracle in his life. This was a physical miracle. They saw a cripple that had been crippled for eight years and now he's walking. What was the result? They turned to Jesus. It's power evangelism. And that's what Frank was describing in India. A village was closed. A little baby is born that can't suck milk the way that it needs to. And this Jesus gives grace. In a lot of those cultures, there's no medical help available. There's no hope at all. And one of the things that we need to learn from the global south is not that we don't use doctors. It's not Dr. Luke is a physician himself. He traveled with the Apostle Paul to minister to the Apostle Paul uh, medically in his infirmities. But sometimes in the Western developed world, we depend completely upon the science and we don't depend upon the spirit. And one of the things that Dr. Luke is trying to help us to do is that we have a balance in that. And, our, and the global south has a lot to teach us. A lot of believers ask me, why is it that a lot of miracles happen in a place like India, in a place like Africa, and they don't happen among us? And a lot of the reason is because they really have a relationship and they trust. There isn't anyone else they can rely upon. We think we can rely upon a lot of other things. One of the things I want us to learn from the book of Acts is that we learn the Holy Spirit can powerfully work through a gracious doctor like Dr. Luke or your modern equivalent. And we rejoice in that. But our trust, our life, how long we're going to live, and the miracles of healing that are going to come into our life are ultimately in the hands of Jesus. And we're a church family that believes 
that we can still see glimpses of the kingdom. That's what it's like. The Lord Jesus was giving glimpses of the kingdom. And I also want you to see that there is a special apostolic miraculous power. As you go through the book of Acts, Peter and Paul are going to be lined up with prophets in the Old Testament, with Jesus as the ultimate Messiah, the Son of God, and they're going to be giving you this revelation. That's why I'm teaching you. And there is an apostolic power that verifies the message that Peter is saying. That's one of the points that Dr. Luke is telling you. For example, in the book of 1 Kings, when it talks about Elijah's miracle, when he raises him, it closes that passage when, he, when the power of the miracle of both Elijah and Elisha, it will say, and we knew there was a prophet in Israel. And what the Jews were saying is we knew God was breathing through this man. And that's why we have the scripture. That's why we're a Bible church. That's why we open this book every time we get together because God has verified it by the miraculous power of an apostle Peter. Does that make sense? And I want you to see that God is still working today. But don't underestimate that there was a time in the first century where there was a special prophetic inspired power that was giving us incredible glimpses of the kingdom that verified this new revelation that would be given. That's where we have a New Testament. Let's talk about the miracle of the raising of Dorcas. Now we up the ante. We've got a girl that's dead, just like when Jairus came, the synagogue ruler. In the book of Mark, it says, my daughter's dead. It's hopeless. Jesus comes. All the Jews are weeping and wailing and crying. Jesus says, she is not dead. They all laugh at him. And he tells them to leave. And then Jesus says, Talitha, little, he says, Talitha, little girl, kum, get up. Peter's able to do exactly the same thing. He says in this text, I want you to see the qualities that we should honor. One of the things that you're reading a story, all of you young girls in the audience need to ask yourself, what are the good qualities in Dorcas? I want all of you older ladies, moms, you live in a culture that would say Dorcas was abused. If I was teaching you from a feminist point of view this morning, I would tell you that this is primitive thinking and it enslaves you young women. This woman, of course, she died. She worked with her hands and she made clothes. That is a weak thing to do. You understand what I'm saying? You're going to hear that all this week. In the Western world, nobody honors what you do with your hands and the way that you make clothes and the way that you meet the needs of people. I'm not saying that you literally have to sew, but I want all of you ladies to know that we need to be raising up Dorcas's. She was a servant to widows. When I was younger and I saw people ministering to widows, sometimes I went, what in the world are you doing that for? As the Holy Spirit has humbled me and broken me, I realized what a, how far from the kingdom I was. Widows, like you've seen in the news this week, older widows living all by themselves and people bringing air conditioning to them. That's Dorcas. And we men can do that as well. I've seen firemen bringing air conditioners. Aren't you thrilled that the power of Jesus is so powerful in the Dallas-Fort Worth area? That it's part of our public policy to tell it to check on our neighbors. 
I want our, as brothers and sisters of Christ, I want us to be on the cutting edge of that. That's the first thing Dorcas teaches us. She teaches us about what should be valued in that servant spirit, that parable spirit. She was loved because of what she did with her hands. And I want to pray that we'll think, that we'll allow the Holy Spirit this morning to give us incredible spirit-led ways of how we can work with our hands to meet the needs of people that are very much in need. And I want you to see, as I've been stressing all the way through, that Peter mirrored his Savior in exactly the way he raised Dorcas from the dead. I want you to be alert as we read the rest of the book of Acts. Jesus is going to be mirrored not only in Peter, but in the Apostle Paul. I want to close. I read a very victorious thing that Frank experienced. But one of the things as I read this text, I said, Lord, I rejoice with the Debbie Baxters that were healed of leukemia. Man, last Sunday as Ethan was here and we're able to rejoice that he's done with his immune treatment and he's lived a year with neuroplastoma. I rejoice with that. But Sherry Ferris had neuroplastoma and she's home with the Lord. And I just be honest with you, I asked, Lord, what about when the miracle doesn't happen? Skip Wickersham's sister right now is wrestling with a homegoing cancer and she's really discouraged. So Frank, one of the things I love about his blog, he talked about his own discouragement. Sometimes when I talk to you about the global south, you almost have the picture, I go there, everybody's healed, everybody's raised from the dead, every, everything's powerful, right? I want you to read another entry from Frank's journal. Frank shared, let's communicate some disappointments and discouragements. Immediately, Pastor D was at my side, and almost immediately, his wife, P, joined him. He began to explain certain things that were troubling him in his ministry, problems in the way he put it. He used the word problems. But he did not mention the loss of courage. His dear wife did. In earnest tones, she told me about the incident, and with fists closed and pumping, she gave me to understand that her man needed to regain zeal, and he needed to regain boldness. Some of us need zeal, boldness. I know I do. She cut right to the chase. We bowed together in the three of us, and I asked our prayerful God to lift up the spirits of the servant. I asked that his boldness would return to him. I asked that he would continue to courageously fish for men, casting the net into the darkness around him to draw people out of the kingdom of darkness and into the light. I asked for Satan to be defeated and for God to be glorified in and through Pastor Day. You see, the apostle Peter is going to have times when it's discouraging, and we read about that in First and Second Peter. The Apostle Paul that had miraculous power will also share about a thorn in the flesh. You say, Dave, as you've been sharing this morning, I have some needs that I really like to pray about. And one of the things that, that happened in the early church is that they prayed together. What I want to do is we close the service. It's a very powerful thing to be able to gather together as a family, and it's a neat thing to be able to just pray in a circle. I'm going to begin to pray, and then I won't say amen, but I just ask you to stand. If you want to come up and just gather around and just share some requests together, we'll just have that time of prayer together. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, we want to close this time like the early church did, and they prayed together. And I thank you, Lord, that we are a family, that you've given us daddies and moms, and you've given us big brothers and big sisters. And I thank you, Lord, for the way that your spirit can help us to continue to live out the power of the book of Acts. 
And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that we'll be able to have just a few minutes now where we're able to gather together. And, Lord, there's a lot in our church family that are wrestling with ongoing, long-term suffering. So I just pray that as brothers and sisters this morning, that we'll pray for spiritual needs, for physical needs. The Lord Jesus, help this conversation with you just to continue.